Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm rejoined by our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. How's it going, Jill? So good. I enjoyed your co-host last week. Excited Thank you. to see more of that. Yes, we were really happy to have Dina from StockX on last week. She was such a great co-host. Dina, if you're listening, thank you for joining us. I'm hoping to have more special guests from outside Glossy join periodically. It's not going to overwhelm. I think we want to keep it primarily me plus members of the Glossy team. But every now and then, I'm going to try to work in a little special guest from outside the team just to have a little outside perspective. Um, I thought Dina added a lot to our conversation last week. So the listeners can look forward to some more special guest hosts in the future. I think I will not announce who they're going to be. I think they'll just we'll just drop the episodes and because I think that's kind of fun. So um, you will see in the future who else we get on the show. But today we've got a fun episode. We're going to be talking uh, actually about two shows now that I'm looking about it. But the first is going to be about the Chanel Resort show that happened in Los Angeles last week or this week, I should say. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about some big DTC brands, uh, Allbirds and Warby Parker in particular, making a little bit of a comeback and talk about what that means for the OG DTC brand era and how they're faring now. And then finally, we're going to talk about Victoria's Secret's announcement for how they're bringing back the old Victoria's Secret show, which is coming back after a couple of year absence under sort of a different kind of format. Um, But let's talk first about Chanel. So Chanel had their resort show on Wednesday in Los Angeles. It was this big, sweeping, elegant, like Hollywood style show. They had converted a soundstage at Paramount Studios, transformed it into a roller rink, uh, which I thought was cool, with a scoreboard kind of announcing the models as they came out. It was very retro, kind of 70s, 80s. I felt like it was uh, 80s Venice Beach kind of vibes. Um, and this is not the first, but but uh, one of the, it's it's the first couple of years into Virginie Viard taking over at Chanel from Carl Lagerfeld. Obviously, she's done several collections there now, so it's not like new, but um, I do think she's been doing a really interesting job. Chanel continues to be like one of the most, one of the most dominant non-LVMH owned luxury brands. Um, but uh, yeah, what, what did you think of the show? And then we can talk about some of the aesthetic kind of trends and stuff. But what was your impressions, Jill? Yeah, it felt to me more Gen Z uh, focused than in seasons past. Uh, definitely a lot of there was some swimwear. It reminded me of like a leotard for night that like some celebrities are wearing out and about on the town. Um, but also uh, someone mentioned Virg- Virginie, Virginie, <laughs> um, that it was um, like a little tweed, a little sport. Um, so it definitely had yeah. the the Chanel signatures involved. There was a lot of look like there was some looks I was like, whoa, <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> a lot of bright colors, totally sparkles, leg warmers. Um, you know, I follow Megan Roop, who does the Sculpt Society. It's a workout. And she was hired on. She's based in L.A. to be the movement director. And she worked with some roller skaters. We know Snoop mm-hmm. Dogg was there performing. We know there were like these neon yep. signs and these food trucks. It was like it was decked out. It was made for Instagram. And it felt more open open and welcoming. There were celebrities there, but there were also a lot of folks I follow where I was like, wow, they got a ticket to the show. Good for them. It felt more, I guess, I guess less exclusive um, than prior. Uh, What did you think? Yeah, no, I I felt same as you, a lot less kind of uh, stuffy or austere, a lot more fun involved. Um, And by the way, is there a single item of clothing 
less tied to a specific decade than the leg warmer. I'm like, did anyone ever wear a leg warmer after 1989 that wasn't self-consciously like doing an 80s outfit? We should. I really enjoy them. <laughs> but I feel like it's imp- if you wore a leg warmer now, people would be like, ooh, very 80s. Like you could wear it, but it just would inextricably be viewed as kind of, a- I guess maybe like a leisure suit for the 70s. But I don't know. It just feels like the most quintessential 80s garment that you could possibly wear. Um, And there was there were swimsuits. There were neon prints. um, There were silks and tracksuits. Yeah, definitely felt I always think there's there's no real good correlation or math in terms of what decade fashion is sort of like back in style. Sometimes people say like 30 years or something. But I don't think it really works like that because I feel like it's 70s and then it's 90s and then it's 80s. Like it jumps around. Do, do you think that the 80s kind of vibe is a Gen Z thing or are they more into 90s stuff? I I, I don't really know. <laughs> I feel like 80s stuff was like popular when I was in high school in like the late 2000s. But I don't know. Maybe that it, it jumps around, you know? Yeah, they're all about the 90s. And there were definitely this show spanned the decades. And there were definitely nods yeah. to like Barbie core and some great pink clothes. Yes. Um, but God, I know. Talk about decades. I tell you what, side note, I listened to the radio on the classic station. There was like my 80s rock bands and it really hurt my heart. It used to be like 50s. <laughs> 50s, like really yeah. oldies, but goodies. Anyway, we're getting old, Danny. But um, I would just say, yeah, the span the gamut. And it, it was tied, as you know, to the new, um, the largest Chanel store opening, the largest Chanel mm-hmm. store opened on Rodeo Drive um, in sync with this show. Chanel's having a moment. Uh, they, Karl Lagerfeld was just the focus of the Met Gala. Right. Uh, they dressed 10 people for the event. Um, and really... They've been all over the news, the brand, and largely because of the price hikes around their bags, some going up as 74% compared to 2019. Um, So there was a comment in a recent uh, story about um, they really have to cater to different client segments. Um, And so clearly they're doing more things that are very exclusive for that top 2% customer that's making up the 40% of their sales. Um, And it's very exclusive. But then again, (laughs) Charles Gross, the amazing luxury influencer said on our recent luxury focus group, (laughs) it was very blunt. He's like, a lot of these luxury brands, their customer is dying. But honestly, <laughs> I was like, hey, Charles. Um, well, but yeah. the customer is getting older. They do have to consider younger generations. They're clearly doing that with this show. thought it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I also wanted to jump back for a second to Barbie core because I feel like I, I love when people add core to any word to make an aesthetic. That's so funny to me. And that's also having a little bit of a moment because obviously there's like the Barbie movie coming out. Um, and also Margot Robbie was at the Chanel show among she many so others. Chic. Yes, I loved it. She did. Yeah. And uh, there was I, I was looking into sort of like the roots of Barbie core. Obviously, there's Barbies and there's all sorts of other stuff. But I forgot that last year there was that Valentino pink collection that was all like Barbie pink. I think of that sort of magenta e pink as ba- the Barbie color to me. Um, not like blush pink or something else. It's like that pink. So that's kind of having a thing right now, too. Maybe it's just because it's kind of maximalist or or what. I don't know. But um 
yeah, it's, I think Chanel, like you said, they're they're huge. I mean, I always think they're they're the um, the go to example I use talking about luxury price hikes, where some middle kind of middle of the road brand will send an apologetic email if they need to send you know raise prices one dollar and like you know flagellate themselves about it, and then Chanel is like, we're raising our prices by a thousand dollars just for fun, like you know for no reason at all. <laughs> Um, but they can get away with it because they they're that two percent that you mentioned, like it literally doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Um, but it's a good point about whether that customer is sort of maybe dying out and maybe you know <laughs> how where that wealth is going. Um, yeah. People talk about Gen Z is going to be the recipient of all this inheritance and stuff, which like I don't know how. I mean, I'm sure there's some data to back that up, but I, it doesn't feel like that to me <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> It feels almost like it's an identity crisis, like with this show, just because, Mm -hmm. well, honestly, you are catering to different customers. They still don't sell a majority, their handbags online, Chanel, like there's still, there are still very old rules in place for the brand. Um, And I know there's no plan to change that anytime soon, um, based on what we're hearing. And and what is like the importance of this cruise show, um, <laughs> resort show? Um, a lot of brands are doing it in a big way all over the globe. Um, and right now, like there are different dr- brands do have collections, but they're dropping all the time. Liz on our team was like, a cruise? That's so dated. Who, who goes on a cruise? <laughs> Which yeah. is true. But like they call it resort. It's pre-spring. It's holiday. Whatever you call it. Um, but traditionally, this is the collection that's on the sales floor longer than any other collection. Um, it's kind of mm-hmm. deemed most wearable, which I don't know that these looks necessarily were. Some of them. I don't know about the yeah. <laughs> super metallic uh, leotards and such or the leg warmers. But um, yeah, so we'll see if it sells. It did feel commercial in in the presentation of it all. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um Anyway, let's move on and talk about uh, some DTC brands. So um, Warby Parker and Allbirds both had their earnings this week, which, by the way, I, I, do they like time their earnings together? Because I was looking back last year, I wrote a story about both of them because they both had earnings in the same week again. Uh, and they both had sort of, you know, kind of negative. And then they both had earnings this week and they were both kind of positive. So it's kind of interesting that these two brands sort of are, are tangled up together like that. But um, the two of them are... I think I think of both as sort of OG DTC brands from like the 2010s era, but they both, like I said last year, their revenue was down. Um, Allbirds had more losses in the first half of 2022 than in all of 2021, for example. Um, they did an experiment branching out of footwear into activewear that didn't sell well, and then they dropped it back. Warby Parker's profits were down. This was all last year, I'm saying. And so we we wrote at the time about how those DTC brands struggle with the very thin margins. And if consumer spending is down even a little bit, it hurts them a lot more than maybe a brand that has higher margins where it's like, you know, you're still in the positive. Anyway, this week, they both had their earnings, both showed a little bit of recovery. Um, Warby Parker's revenue was up 12%, which they said was due to more brick-and-mortar stores, which is interesting because last year when I wrote about it, they said more brick-and-mortar stores would hopefully boost their sales. So it looks like it did that. And then um, in Allbirds, they had a drop in sales of 13%, which isn't great, but they had been expecting a drop of 28%. So it actually ended up a lot better than they were expecting. And they attributed that to cost-cutting. They they dropped their marketing spend by 16%. Their profit margins were thinner 
and their losses grew by $13 million, which is not good. So those DTC brands just really live by those margins, I think is is the idea. Yeah, I think Allbirds' story is worse than Warby. Um, I think that the CEO said, you know, any losses down year over year is not a good thing. Um, interesting because I just talked to somebody from the company Um Allbirds will be represented at our Glossy Forum on Monday. Um, and a lot of the talk was about uh, kind of growing beyond a direct-to-consumer brand. Last year, they opened 22 stores. This year, they plan to open more. They've expanded to Nordstrom, Selfridges, um, REI, and an Allbirds app. And anyway, they're in Japan. It was just like kind of this whole, they're expanding. A lot of what we talked about was how they maintain their identity. They're really known for sustainability. Actually, they're known for practicality, despite that they were trying to do more sexy things, like you said, active wear, um, kind of more uh, Nike-esque, very, uh, I guess, elevated uh, sports, sports, well, I'll say sneakers. Uh, Any sneakers was a big thing, and it still is a big thing, but they're known Mm -hmm. for, I guess, I wouldn't say less trendy. I would say less trendy. And they just came out with a golf shoe that they have high hopes for, which seems more up their alley to me. Um, So we'll be interesting to see how they do. Warby Parker, uh, yeah, they relied on their stores. They also pulled back on on marketing and that served them well. Yeah, for sure. And I I was personally never a big fan of the shoes, but I actually did get a the Allbirds shirt and shorts from the activewear collection. And coincidentally, I'm wearing it right now, the shirt, and I didn't even plan that. Hey, um, hey, what do we I think? Really, I really like the shirt, and I really did not like the shorts. I don't know what was wrong about them architecturally, but they were so uncomfortable. Um, the shirt, though, is great. I'm literally, like I said, wearing it right now, completely unplanned. Um, <laughs> and this is not an ad or anything. I genuinely like the shirt. It's not. It can't even be an ad because they're not even going to sell it anymore. Um, so <laughs> there's no point. Um, but I did like it. Wasn't the worst thing, you know. The sh- the shorts were not great, but I thought the shirt was really nice. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think that a lot of these brands are going to behave more like a traditional brand. Like their whole pitch in the 2010s was we're not like a traditional fashion brand. We're doing all these disruptive things. And then kind of slowly over time, they kind of move back to, uh, yeah, we're just going to do like brick and mortar stores and like do normal brand stuff. And I was thinking about uh, when I was at Shop Talk in Vegas, I can't remember who the executive was who said this, but on a panel, um, somebody was talking about how... uh, a lot of newer startup-y kind of brands have excitement about them and they're disrupting stuff and it's like people talk about it. But then if you look at like the volume or whatever, it's like they're still like tiny compared to Target or something. And Target's not fun or, you know, sexy in the same way, but it's like just successful. So, you know, or, you know, pick any other large retailer or brand that's maybe just kind of plain and boring, but is like doing really well. Um, There's still a lot more traffic going to those brands and as exciting and disruptive as some sort of startup-y brands can be, it's like still a drop in the bucket. And then when you get larger, like Allbirds and Warby Parker have both become, you kind of just end up replicating a lot of the same normal stuff that other brands have done because that's sort of just like what works best over time. 
Yeah, and I'm teasing left and right, but next week, Commerce Week, you have a uh, story planned that is very much on this topic where a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands, they can't rely on digital marketing like they used to. The cost is high. There are new challenges and barriers. And so, yeah, going into a wholesale retail partner is one way to get more eyes. It's a marketing opportunity, and you're going to be comparing mm-hmm. like the margins, like they were aren't what they were in direct-to-consumer channels um, and comparing wholesale versus, versus direct. So, hey, check out that story. I think it's a, it's really timely. Thank you. Yeah, th- that will be up next week. I've, ex- I've also written a couple of times recently about just the focus on margins and the focus on profitability for a lot of brands. Like We've talked about it a bunch, but I think there are more brands and retailers and companies in the industry now who are like, we need to actually start making more money than we're spending like right now. We can't just hope that someday we figure out how to do that. Like we got to start doing that now. Um, so it's it's definitely interesting to see how some of the I mean, when you're when you're a publicly traded company like Orby and Allbirds, I think profitability is a little bit more of a focus because you're trying to impress the shareholders and all that. Um but even smaller brands that don't have uh, like the stock exchange to impress, I think, are feeling that. And uh, margins is definitely a big part of that. Where let's let's eliminate everything that has the potential to be unprofitable or cost us more, and like just sell the highest margin stuff. So we're seeing that in a lot of different places. Um, let's talk about our last topic, which is Victoria's Secret. So. Um, back in 2019, Victoria's Secret stopped doing their big annual show uh, for a, a number of reasons. There was, you know, kind of ambient environment, not environmental in the sense of like the planet, but just like ambient factors in the in the atmosphere uh, around sort of their style of ultra sexy kind of like was sort of going out of style a little bit. Um, also some more explicit things like Les Wexner having ties to Jeffrey Epstein, all this bad press and all this stuff kind of piled up and they stopped doing their their big show in 2019. And in the years since there was that documentary, they've, they've talked a lot, like they've pitched me stuff and they've done stuff in the press about how we're not the same Victoria's Secret we were, we're we've evolved, we're more progressive, all that stuff. Um, and they've talked about how they want to bring back the show. And it's been a little while. And they're sort of like, we're going to bring it back. It's going to be in a different form. Didn't know what that form was going to be. Um, this week, they they announced exactly what it's going to be. So uh, the show is coming back as a, as a tour and then a movie, which I think is really interesting. Um, they're doing live shows that are going to be live streamed and then also turned into a feature length documentary. Um, so it's, I think it's dropping in September. Uh, they sort of, they recruited 20 women who are different types of creative types uh, in four different cities, London, Tokyo, Bogota, and Lagos, to make four different collections. And then there's also going to be a collection designed by Victoria's Secret. And then they're putting it all together into a big show. And then it's all going to be turned into like a feature length documentary. I could not see anywhere or find where this documentary is going to be shown. Is it just going to like go on their YouTube channel or is it going to be on, you know, some streaming platform or is it going to be in theaters? That would be insane if it was. My immediate thought, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, but yeah, my immediate thought is that I can barely tolerate a 15 second ad before a YouTube video. I don't know how people, I, who, who wants to watch a feature length documentary about a brand unless you're like <laughs> a real diehard VS head, which I don't know how many people, I, that's just my thought anytime a brand is like, we made a feature length movie about our new product. I'm like, I don't want to watch that. 
but that's just me. I don't know. Do you, do you yeah. feel that? Are there people out there who might like that? It sounds like a yeah. PR thing. They want to rewrite the script or, you know, put their messaging out there in a big, bold way after Angels and Demons. That was a film that mm-hmm. I watched, but I was definitely, people are more interested in the na- course, <laughs> negative yeah. stuff, I think, um, for better or worse. <laughs> so yeah, this is yeah, a huge commercial, a huge ad. They definitely are, I guess, I was wondering, some folks, some publications said that it will be live streamed. I think you're right. Um, but the the feature film, it gives them control to really tell it how they want to tell it um, rather than just like stream it on whatever they're airing it on in this. Uh, anyway, it won't be on uh, primetime TV, but released in September. I don't really understand. I yeah. think I, I'm missing the link. I couldn't find it. You tell me if you know, but um, these 20 designers from all over the globe, London, Tokyo, all of these places, uh, are, are their designs going to be incorporated mm-hmm. into the Victoria's Secret collection or are they going to be selling it? Like, how are they related? I'm so confused. I think so. I think the idea is that there's there are going to be four collections of clothes released and sold to the public one each designed by, I guess, five designers uh, from one of those cities. So it's going to be like the Tokyo collection is designed oh, by fantastic. these five women from Tokyo. Well, that makes the London collection. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a fifth collection that's designed by Victoria's Secret, like by their in-house people. And that's all, I guess, released when the film comes out. But um, yeah, that's like the extent of sort of how that. And that's the thing. Everything I could find about it was all about like the image and the story they're telling. And I'm like, I want the details. How is this going to work? Uh, you know, from a business perspective, because that's I mean, that's what we talk about on this. Pod- this is a business podcast, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and from that perspective, I just am like, it's clearly part of their PR strategy to present this new image of a progressive, inclusive Victoria's Secret. Um, they in a lot of the messaging around this film they didn't talk about like come see the angels like being sexy or whatever it's like none of that it's like we're celebrating women around the world um which is not a bad thing i'm just saying it's definitely clearly part of this whole thing of reinventing the image so from a business perspective like that's sort of what i see from it i just don't know how again who wants to watch a feature-length documentary that's made by a brand about the brand that just like sounds too transparently self-serving for my cinematic taste, but I don't know. Maybe there's people out there who would like it. Yeah, I mean, we did watch it, uh, Amazon Prime Savage Fenty show. You know, that is interesting. That's, true. That's sexy, and that definitely stole Victoria's Secret's original thunder. Like, this is the yeah. way to do it and do it right. Buy Victoria's Secret. Nice try. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but was that feature length? I don't remember. How long was it? I don't think it was feature it was like thir- length. It was like 30 minutes, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, that's more tolerable. Yeah. Victoria's Secret has acquired Adore Me, Frankie's Bikinis. I mean, that's right. That's par- I wonder what the presence or what how that's going to be incorporated, if at all. Maybe not. Um Anyway, they are trying to spread their wings. What I think is really funny uh, aspect. Spread their wings. <laughs> Good joke. <laughs> no pun intended. Well, speaking of angels, like Harper's Bazaar mm-hmm. reported, like it'll probably be mo- mostly new faces considering the new direction. Um, and they're like, we probably won't see Bella Hadid. But this is yeah. just so interesting to me because I'm on TikTok. I see on my feed Adriana Lima, OG Angel. Mm-hmm. And literally, there are the comments underneath that are funny because I don't know. Maybe she's since had 
um, become a mom. I'm not sure what she's up to in life. She, I think she's still modeling. The fact of the matter is yeah. she is pounding it hard at the gym going, I'm getting ready for my Victoria's Secret comeback. And it's like the oh. old way, you know, like get ready for mm -hmm. Victoria's Secret. And I don't know that she's, you know, going to the extremes that models used to report about their diets and their exercise mm -hmm. routine. But the comments underneath are probably like, they probably booked you because you <laughs> bring diversity um, now. But yeah, yeah, it just seems like <laughs> can't change her ways, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see when it does come out. Um, I don't know if I'll watch the whole feature length thing, but I'll watch some of it. Um, how similar or dissimilar it is to the old school Victoria's Secret shows. Cause I just, I can't see them totally abandoning their entire kind of aesthetic. So I'm sure there will be some shared DNA kind of, um, but we'll see in September when, when it all comes out. It's a bold move. I mean, if you have women walking down a runway in lingerie, ooh, you know what I mean? I, I feel like yeah. how different can you be other than diversity? How can you keep it for feeling self-confident versus for mm -hmm. the male gaze and all of that. The, it'll, it'll be difficult, I think, for their, their part. But yeah, wait to see. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> yes, me too. Um, so that's all the time we have this week. Jill, thank you so much. It's always great having you on. Uh, for those of you listening, don't forget to give us a rating and a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Um, that really helps us out a lot. Also, be helpful if you... Uh, if you feel so inclined, you could just post about the Glossy Podcast. If you liked the episode, you could just tweet about it or put it on your Instagram story or something like that. Not necessary, obviously. I won't even know it's if required. you do it, but <laughs> it, it is required if you want to keep listening. Um, but I, I discover podcasts that way. So, you know, if you want to throw us a mention out there, that would be really helpful. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you'll hear interviews with either Jill or I interviewing cool industry insiders every Wednesday. And then every Friday, we do Week in Review episodes. Jill, who's next on the Glossy Podcast? Who's our next guest? It is a really good one. It's a two-for-one um, Veronica Beard Founders, which is the namesake brand of two different Veronica Beards. Veronica Swanson Beard and Veronica Miele Beard. They are related. It's awesome. I love the brand. Known for great blazers. Check it out. That sounds great. Well, until then, thank you everybody for listening. <laughs>